Uh, now that it's November, we're getting closer to Thanksgiving, right? It's time to get out your sweater and put away your razor. <laughs> it's time to prepare for family time and for many. And if it's not you, it's going to be someone near you. It's a time where loss becomes more pointed than it had been before. And one of the most magnificent things in my mind about the scriptures is how honest it is about real life. Uh, it doesn't um, pretend that things are different than they are. And so let's begin with a, a realistic picture of what life is like that comes in Proverbs 13, verse 12. Here's a description about what life can be like. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Here is a very astute observation about the reality of human experience and its extremes. On the one hand, the goodness of getting what you've longed for, and then right beside that, the grief of losing what you love. Anyone who lives long enough will know both experiences. Every single one of us in here will. If you look at the image first used to capture the experience of getting what you longed for, you see it there. It is a tree of life. In Scripture, tree is used symbolically to capture longevity because a tree's roots go down deep so it doesn't die when the drought comes. It's a picture of abundance and provision because it provides fruit which, which nourishes and which satisfies. Here, the tree of life is meant to add to that goodness the additional benefit of being right there in the presence of God and having everything you need. If you know the Bible well, you may know the story of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had everything they could require because God was right there with them and there in the center of the garden was the tree of life. It was a tree that had leaves which brought healing and which had the power to give everything that was necessary for the good life that God wanted. At the very end of the Bible, it shows up again. A tree of life is an image of everything good. Do some of you know what it's like to have a desire that's in your mind which is for something really good and you hope for it and you work for it and you wait for it and then it comes along? Do you know the sweetness of that kind of experience? Yeah. Uh, you're alone for a long time. And you're sad to be alone because you know God didn't make you to be by yourself. And so you pray and you ask him to bring someone along. And then in the fall, you meet her. You ask her out and you sit down for lunch together. And as you begin to talk, it dawns on you that, that she's better for you than you could have imagined. And before long, it turns out that you're better for her than she had hoped when she reveals later on that she had a crush on you since September. You go to the coffee shops often. You go to the museum and you look at art together and you talk. You read the Bible with each other and you discuss God's providence in Romans. She comes with you to your grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary where she meets your parents and they love her. Your dad shakes her hand and kisses her on the cheek. You haven't even kissed her yet. You kiss her later that night, and then you get married. <laughs> and it's a tree of life. Because now you live with her, and you love her, and she loves you, and you have a family together. And you move to Summit, New Jersey, and you become the pastor at Renaissance Church. <laughs> and I know what that's like to have a desire realized. Do you know 
Would you let a desire that you yourself have longed for that has come, would you let it come into your memory again and be grateful for it just for a moment? The life that God made us for is a life of good, wholesome desires realized. It's a tree of life. All right, beside that is the opposite image. It's what happens when you long for something good and, and maybe you have it, but then it's robbed away from you. Or you have a dream or a hope and you pray for it, but instead of coming as you wished and dreamed, it goes away. When you have a plan, when you have a heart for another person, when you want to see a disease healed, when you want to see a relationship restored, but instead of getting better, it gets worse, and then you are alone. And that, what that's like is it makes the heart sick. That's what it happens to a human heart when hope is deferred. And I know this. I know it for sure that some of you know just what that feels like. And it's a good metaphor, right? Heart sick, but it turns out to be literal too because some of us knows what it's like not only to have it in our minds, but our hearts actually feel sick. Have you ever had a loss where it makes your chest hurt? Where it's like there's something dragging you down from the center of you. I still can recall exactly what it was like the last time I walked out of the hospital in October of 2003, the last time I'd see my grandfather alive. I loved him. Ted Sari was his name. He was a musician. He was funny. He told jokes that my parents wouldn't want me to hear. <laughs> and there in the hospital, he was suffering from Parkinson's disease. And he had smoked every day. And so his lungs were filling with fluid. And it wouldn't stop. And he made me laugh. And then he asked me to pray that he would die soon. Because of how much it hurt. And my hope was deferred. That Thanksgiving, I went to Nana and Pop's house like I did every single year for as long as I can remember. And it was just like it always was, except Pop wasn't there, and his seat was empty. And in the seat where he should have been, uh, beside that seat was my grandmother, who had now been married to him for 61 years. Or would have been, excuse me, would have been married 61 years. But he was gone. And it, our hearts were sick. And in that moment, we didn't know what to do. And the truth about human experience is that it has moments where we, our desires are realized and it's brilliant and wonderful and it has moments where our hope is deferred and it's awful. And, and when we don't know what to do, sometimes we do terrible things. Do you know that from maybe your own experience? That when you don't know how to deal with grief, you end up in a bad place? Or maybe you've seen others who, who are affected by tragedy and they go off the rails because of it because they don't know what to do. Here in Proverbs, not only do we find beautiful descriptions of what life is really like, we also find very simple and practical guidance for how to face moments like that. And so here I want to direct your attention to another bit of wisdom. In Proverbs 17, 17, we have a picture of how we, and I mean this now, how you can actually be around the Thanksgiving table this year if for you, your grandfather's not there or there's some other fresh grief. This is exactly how you can be there. Proverbs 17, 17 reads like this. A friend loves at all times and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. In that bit of wisdom, there are three characters identified. There are friends, and here it should read true friends, who are to love at all times. There's friends. There's family. That's what kinsfolk mean, means. Family who are born for something. Not that they always 
do what they were born for, but they were intended by God to be a certain kind of community together. And then thirdly, we have those who, who face adversity. And the truth about every gathering is there's going to be some mixture of those three. At Christmas this year, at Thanksgiving this week, wherever you find yourselves, there are going to be friends and there are going to be family, at least who should be family in spirit. And then in every gathering, there are going to be people who face adversity. And not only are these three identified, but they're directed in two lines. We learn exactly what they're meant to do. And, And really, even though there are two clauses, they're the same guidance. Look at them. They should love at all times and share adversity. And what it looks like to love when grief has come is that second phrase, to share adversity. And what we learn here, if our hearts are open, and now I do want you to think about the gatherings that you'll be a part of. What we learn here as something to teach friends and family and those who struggle. For friends, first, we're taught here that when you are close to someone who is facing adversity because of loss, then it's time for you to go on loving them even though the weather has changed from fair to foul. You know the, the expression, fair weather friends. And maybe you've had a friend who runs when things get hard for you. Here we learn from God's word that true friends are to love at all times, even when things get hard. Faithful family here, kindred, who are related to people who are struggling with grief, are instructed here to stay close in tragedy and keep their eyes open for how they can shoulder the burden that comes with loss. This is not only what they're instructed to do, but what they're born for, according to God's word. Um, Some of you might have come from families who are so untrustworthy and independable, you can't depend on them for anything, that the idea that they would carry your burdens is nonsense. Are there some of you who are in here like that? You come from families like that? If you are, okay, I'm glad the rest of your family's not here to see you say yes. <laughs> but listen, what God invites us into, and I'll tell you this, and you know this, because we've, we've talked, is to see one another as family members in faith. And if, if faith is new to you, if the Christian faith is something you're just beginning to explore, I want you to understand this. Jesus invites those who trust him to see themselves as his sons and daughters, which means we're kindred. And so that means what we're meant to be for each other, if our parents are gone or far away, is brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the spirit. And when we do that, here we learn that we're meant to share adversity. Now, here's the third group that's addressed. It's those whose hearts are sick because of adversity. Can you see what they're meant to do here? They're instructed also to do something. It's in that single word, share. And this is wisdom, and it's challenging, but it's wisdom. The guidance here says when you are carrying something that's too much for you, though you will be tempted to tell the people around you that you're doing okay, the invitation here is to find in the right way and in the right time someone you can share it with, which is to say, I'm not okay. Though you've learned that strength means going on and carrying everything all by yourself, there will be times when it's too much to carry. And so here what the wisdom that God gives to you Uh, teaches is that you should share it, which means don't go on trying to be stronger than you are. Do you see the beautiful wisdom that's here? Now, this is good advice. And, And by the way, if you didn't believe in God at all, it still would be very good advice that when things get really hard in life, you should try to share it with people around you because you can't manage on your own. 
And if you're going to be a good friend and a good family, help people when they're having a difficult time. And as far as it goes, that's beautiful advice, and I'm happy to give it to you. But tonight, I want to step beyond that, and I want to be a Christian pastor to you, wherever you are in faith, and tell you what I know is true. Please listen to this, which is the most important thing to Jesus is that you would trust him and follow him. And when Jesus gathered his friends together, he told them that of all the commandments, the most important one was that they should love. And he said this because he meant it, that they should love God with all their heart and their soul and their mind and strength. And that always meant love their neighbor as themselves. In another place, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another as I have loved you. And when Jesus said that, listen now, he was thinking already ahead about my Thanksgiving table in 2003 and my difficult and lonely time before I met my wife, Michelle, and about the difficulty I faced eight years ago, and about every challenge you've ever faced. And what Jesus had in his mind is if you want to follow him, then what you need to do is to help each other when you're having a hard time. That's it. It may seem overly simple, but I'm telling you, as your pastor, trust me, this is how you do exactly what Jesus wants. In Galatians, which is a small letter, that one of Jesus' followers named Paul wrote, there is an astounding statement that makes a promise about how we can fulfill Jesus' law. Look at what he wrote in Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, these words were written by a man who gave his entire life to understanding God's law. That's who Paul was. He did everything he could to understand the law of God. He met Jesus, and then he realized that it all boils down to love and what love looks like in life that has not only moments where it's a tree of life because desires are realized, but also includes heart sickness because hope is often deferred. What love looks like then is bearing one another's burdens. And if you do that, you do exactly what Jesus wants. That's good, isn't it? I'm going to do my very best to show you as your pastor for tonight how to do that. And I have to speak now to both groups in this room, okay? I have to speak to the friends and kindred on one hand who are doing well right now. And if that's you, can you thank God in your heart right now? That's me right now. I just thanked him. Okay, if that's you, I want to instruct you and this is for me too, on how to bear burdens because that's our job. And then if, if you're the one who right now can barely hold it together, I want to instruct you on how to share burdens. Those two things. Let's start with how to bear burdens. For those of us who are feeling strong right now and who are going to be at a table with others who are having a difficult time, and by the way, if it's not a table, if it's at school or if it's in the evening after the kids are in bed, if, if your spouse is having a hard time, wherever you are, here's the first thing that we're going to do to bear burdens. First, use your ears. I can tell you uh, from many, many, many years of experience of listening to hundreds, maybe thousands of people in distress because of grief, that what I've learned is that when someone's having a really hard time, even though I wish what they needed most was my clever words or my spiritual guidance as a pastor, before that, what they need is open ears so they have someone who can understand what they're going through. And so for you, the first thing to do to be a true friend or a kindred who loves when someone is facing adversity is to lend your ears, and that will require you 
to a certain extent to keep your mouth quiet. You may need to speak to get them started, but find a time where the two of you can be by yourselves or a few of you can be together and, and leave the small talk aside and say something like this, hey, I've been thinking of what you're facing. I can't imagine how hard this must be for you. Can you tell me what it feels like? Ask that and then be quiet and love that person with your ears. How are you making it? Can you tell me what you're thinking and what you're feeling? Say something like that and then listen. And by the way, parents, you can try this with your children when they're in distress. Instead of trying to control them, say, what's it like for you? And then listen to them. If you lend your ears, you will be opening an incredibly important door for that person in adversity. If you're thinking, I don't know what to say. Yeah, probably you don't, but listen. That's number one. Now, if you'll listen and they begin to share with you what they're going through, here's the second thing which you must do to love them at this time. It is to stay with the feelings. Uh, Let me be specific here. If your friend who is in grief tells you that he feels utterly hopeless and a part of you wants to tell him, don't feel hopeless, you should be hopeful, don't tell him that right away. Stay with what he feels. Because of course he knows he should feel hopeful, but he can't. And for you to tell him that he should only makes him feel worse for what he's feeling and he can't change anyway. Do you see it? If that person says something like, I feel like I'll never be happy again, don't tell him, yes, you will. That's running away from the feelings which he's just opened up for you. God, let's hope that he feels happy again. You hope so. He hopes so too. She wants to be delivered. But if you tell her, don't, no, that's not what you're, don't, don't say that. You're telling her, I can't bear to be with you where you are. And what she needs is for you to be there with her in the dark as much as you can. Being a listener who helps bear the burden means responding like this. So you feel like joy is behind you forever. Have I got that right? And then just being quiet with that. It tells the person that you're willing to be there with them in their grief instead of trying to change where they are right there. I promise if you'll do this, that will also be a gift. And now there'll be some understanding and you're with them in this difficult time. Please trust me. For years, I tried the first way. It didn't work. For years now, I've had the simple gift of seeing that all God needs me to do for someone who's in distress is shut up. And now I know I'm still gonna wanna say something and so are you if you get there. And here's the third thing that I'm, I'm giving to you as a gift to you, but especially to the person who begins to open up about how hard it is. Step number three, no cliches. You are gonna start thinking of that Robert Frost poem that you memorized in college, which you really loved, and you're gonna wanna say stanza two, but keep it to yourself. You're gonna think of that country song that makes you choke up in the third verse. Don't quote it. Uh, every cloud has its silver lining. Life goes on and so should we. Every rose has its thorn. Maybe there is some truth in every one of these cliches, which is why they become cliches, but now's not the time to say them. And especially, please listen to this, especially if you're a person of faith and you want to mix your cliches up with some statement about God, this is the time when you, most be, you must be most on your guard. You're going to want to say when God closes a door, he opens a window. And maybe it's true that God always gives us another opportunity. But if you say that to me when I'm in grief, I'm going to want to shove you out that window. 
She's in a better place. God wanted him home. God wanted her to be there with him and he needed her. So that's why he took her. Or there's a plan and you must trust it. Listen, maybe in some measure, some of that's true, but don't say it. You can say that if someone asks you. If they say, do you think they're in a better place? If they ask that question, then you can tell them what you believe. And you should. And don't be shy about it. Or if they say, do you think that he's, he's not at pain anymore? Then say, yes, I'm, I, I believe he's not at pain anymore and share it. But don't say those other things. If that person wanted to have him there for the rest of her life so he could see the girls get married and get old, don't tell that person that God wanted him back. You wanted him. So no cliches. Can we agree with that? I'll keep shouting. I'll start pounding this thing. It doesn't mean you shouldn't say anything. Because here's the last thing to say, by the way, which is that in moments like this, there are times when God himself does want you to say something, but you shouldn't say it unless God wants you to. And of course, this should raise the question, how would I know if God wanted me to say it? Here's the, the fourth bit of guidance. Pray while listening to that person. And I'm being completely literal here. Do it. Not out loud, but to yourself. When God gives you the freedom to speak, you should. Until he does, don't. And so you ask the question, how are you making it? And they say, I don't know. And I don't know how I can keep going, to be honest. And then you should sit quietly and look right into their eyes. And while you're looking into their eyes, pray to God himself, saying, God, would you give me the strength to know what to say? or whether to keep quiet. And then wait there in the silence. And if you feel anxious to say something, say it again, God, please help me know whether to speak. And just, it's okay to be quiet with them as you're praying. And after some time, if it gets really awkward and God hasn't given you anything to say, then you speak up by saying, I wish I had something to say, but there are no words. If you've been in grief, has someone ever said that to you? Isn't that the best thing sometimes that someone can say? I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. It's too awful. You can say that. And that can be what God means to say through you. I have a friend who's a pastor. He actually came here to visit uh, from the UK. Some of you might have been here when Chris Russell preached. He had a great accent. Remember him? It's hard to forget that. I was in the, uh, in the worst time uh, in 2006, and Chris listened to me for a long time, and he didn't share any cliches, and he was quiet, and he stayed with the feelings, and after a long bit of silence, he said, Christian, it must be so lonely to be where you are right now. No one could know what this is like. And then he said, I want to say to you that I believe that the glory that is one day going to be revealed isn't even worth comparing to this present suffering that you're living with. And that's a passage from the Bible which my friend Chris knew. Uh, later he told me when I said, you're the best pastor that I've ever met. He said, I just was praying while you were talking to me and asking God to help me know what to say. And you can all do that. I mean, you might not know the Bible as well as my friend Chris did. You might not, but you can all ask God to give you the words. And in that way, you will learn to bear the burdens of those around you. Can I refresh your memory? A friend loves at all times and kindred were born to share adversity. And if you do this, according to Paul, you will be fulfilling the law of Christ. 
That's for those of us who are in a position to bear. On the other hand, how to share burdens, because if they're not uh, shared, then we can't bear them. And so this is a challenge and an invitation to those of you who have difficult things that you're carrying. And by the way, let's not anyone in here look at ourselves and think of someone who's got it worse and tell ourselves, well, I can't really talk about my burdens because someone else has it worse. Have you ever done that? I have too. The hardest thing that you've ever carried is the hardest thing that you've carried. So here's the guidance for us, all of us for how to share the burdens that we have and especially for those of us who have it difficult right now. The first thing is this, feel what you feel. When grief is heavy and loss is pointed, there will be times when we feel things which we've been taught that we're not supposed to feel or which don't match the idealized image that we have of ourselves. Grief can make a brave man cower like a child and he can tell himself, you're not supposed to feel so afraid. Nonsense with what you're supposed to feel. Feel what you feel. Depression, anxiety, shame can make a person look down on herself in a way that is profoundly crushing. And she can say, but I believe in God and therefore I shouldn't have such a view. But if that's what you feel, fine, feel it. That's where you start, always. And so wherever you are, the truth is you must feel what you feel and be there. And if you think, well, aren't there feelings that I'm not supposed to have? Open the book of, of Psalms and scan through it and you'll see there, the, the men of God who wrote the words of the Bible expressing anger at God, frustration at God, disbelief toward God, wanting to run away from and even curse God. It's right there in the scriptures. Whatever you feel, the first step to sharing your burdens is to feel whatever you feel. When you've got there, the second step is to talk about it. Not to everyone. And maybe to some people, never. You know what I'm saying? We'll have people in our lives who just seem to delight in hearing how awful it is for people and they're gonna find you and they're gonna be like, oh, tell me about your problems so they can feel better about themselves. Stay away from them. There are some people who you shouldn't share with. But the truth about every table, if it's a table that God has gathered, is that there will be true friends and kindred who God has put there in your life for you to talk to. And it might not be literally at your Thanksgiving table, but it very well should be at this gathering here. Uh, the people that God has put in our lives who are working as best they can to follow him, someone is in your life who's got ears and God wants you to begin talking to them. And talking about it means being honest and putting it into words in the best way that you can. There will be in every good community of Christ followers, people who are ready to hear as you talk about it. And in order for you to be the one who shares your burdens, you must speak about it. Now, if you begin to talk, listen now, what will happen is the people you open up to will see something about you and it will be this, that you need help. And the third step for you in sharing your burdens is this, accept help. Uh, some of us will uh, be very eager to help others but have a really hard time accepting help for ourselves. Is there anyone in here who would admit to that? that it's a lot easier for you to give than to receive help. Okay, please listen. Not from me. This is God saying it to you. Accept help. If you can't accept help, you can have no relationship with God because our relationship with God starts with receiving the help that Jesus gives when we're helpless. And the way that should work out in real life is that when you're facing grief and things are difficult, you want to be strong, 
But Jesus says, give up the illusion of self-sufficiency. I've put these people around you to help you. Don't close yourself off to receiving what others can give. When it becomes hard, let people take care of you when you need it. And I'll tell you what, this guy here has lived through some times where he was a mess and needed help. In 2000, when I lived in Princeton for the first time all by myself, I was in desperate need of help. Before I met Michelle, the one I talked about, as the desire realized it was the tree of life to me, I was a total wreck. And the worst time for me was dinner time, eating all by myself. Has anyone else, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe some of you know what it's like to eat dinner alone when you used to eat with faces that were made you joyful. And the way I dealt with that was in a very unhealthy way. I went to Burger King in Princeton just so I could be around people at dinner time. And I would buy two cheeseburgers and french fries and I would milk them as I sat on the counter by the window watching the people go by. A, a family from seminary knew that I was alone. And so they said to me, Christian, can we invite you to our house for dinner? Of course, I had that voice in me that we, many of us have, which is when somebody offers something nice like that, you're supposed to say no, right? Oh, that's so nice of you, but thanks. No, I'm okay. I just was like, yes, I will come. I'll be there when tonight. I'll be there tonight and <laughs> tomorrow. And they had me to their house. And at the end, I said, thank you so much for having me over. I needed this. Can I come over again? And I said that. I said it in part because I needed it, but also I had already begun to learn that when you give someone the freedom to help you, you let them do exactly what Jesus wants them to do and what Jesus made them for. I don't talk about Satan or the devil a lot, but when I do, it's serious. Here, Satan wants you to carry your grief by yourself because then it will kill you. And it will also rob the Christians around you of the joy of bearing your burdens with you, which will bring them life. So accept help. And here's the last thing I'll say to everyone who's got grief and difficulty to face. It is that you should grieve with hope. I saved this for last because of all the things I've said tonight, this is the one that comes most directly out of my faith, which I have because of my relationship with Jesus and my familiarity with who God is through Scripture. And I know not everybody's in the same place there. But what the Bible has taught me about grief is that it's real, and of course it comes when you lose someone that you love or something that was dear to you. But what it has also taught me about hope is profound, and it's this, that everyone who trusts Jesus, and by that I mean is willing to say, he is able to carry me when I can't carry myself. He's sufficient. He sets me right before God so I don't need to worry about it anymore. He loves me, and this I know. If you're in that place and willing and able to do that, then the promise about death, which is for you secure, is that even though death and loss is an end, it's not the end. It's not. But instead, there will be a time when Christ returns. And when he does, it will be with healing. It will be with the power that raised Christ from the dead to overcome death forever. It will be with the recreation power of his love that will actually make a new heaven and a new earth. And every ugly and difficult and bad thing will be gone forever. Pain and grief and anguish and loss will be 
not even a memory anymore, will be gone forever. God himself will wipe away every tear from your eye and he will set a great and glorious feast before you and everything and everyone that was in Christ, something that you loved and received in this life will be restored to you forever. And between now and the end, you can be hopeful that one, this is the way the image is put at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22. The vision that God gave to John says, God will be with us and we will be his people and he will be our God and there will be no more night. There won't be the sun because his light will be with us forever and that's an image of peace and security unending because of God's presence. There will be a river of living water that flows from beneath the throne of God and the throat of the lamb. That's meant to say that Jesus died to make this vision true because he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and on either side of that crystal river, guess what's growing? Any guesses? A tree of life and a desire realized is a tree of life. And in the end of all things, which will be for us a new beginning of eternity, it will be a tree of life forever. And there will be healing and restoration and joy unending. Until then, cry, but not as people without hope. Can we, can we join our hearts together in prayer now? Let's do that. God, we thank you that you are the light who has come into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. We thank you that at Christmas time we celebrate the gift that you who were uh, above all things decided not to stay distant but instead uh, to become one of us and to be born in human likeness, uh, to be the one in whom the truth and the, and the life that was everlasting life would shine and then to come, as John put it, to be the light that shines in the darkness and we thank you that the darkness did not overcome it. We thank you that you became flesh and lived among us and we thank you for your glory as the glory of a father's only son full of grace and truth. We thank you that there's never a step on the path before us which we ever, ever have to walk alone. We ask that the friends and the kindred that you've given us would be true friends and good kindred so that they would walk with us and we would walk with each other. But then lastly, we pray that your light, which is the true light, would shine even when everyone else is gone, when we have to walk the road all by ourselves. Help us receive that light with joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.